Welcome to the Breaking into Startups podcast, where it features stories of people from non-traditional backgrounds that broke into tech. For those of you that don't know, the Breaking the Startups crew has roots in New York and Chicago. Archer and Timor lived in New York, and I spent a lot of time and lived in River North on Ohio and Franklin. It went really well, and the reason why I bring this up is because today's interview guest is Nimit Maru, who is the co-founder of a Y Combinator-backed coding school called Full Stack Academy. This podcast is not all about Silicon Valley, so if you live in these different locations, this is definitely a good program for you to choose. And a matter of fact, if you're from Chicago, you might remember the Starter League. Um, Full Stack actually acquired the Starter League, so shout out to Neil Sales Griffin and everything that he did at 1871. For those of you that don't know, he's in the Bay right now. Um, but back to Full Stack, um, this is a great episode to learn more about why they started the school, what their process looks like, how they've been able to place their graduates into top tech companies like Google, Amazon, and Facebook, and it's awesome. If you like it or have any insight on this episode, please make sure you let us know about it in the reviews on iTunes. And also, make sure if you want to uh, have any questions, join our Facebook community, the Breaking Stars Facebook community, and ask if anybody has gone through this program so that you can get insight directly from them. And without further ado, let's break in. Growing up, we're told that in order to be successful, you need to be a banker, a doctor, or a lawyer. That's what the gatekeepers want you to think. But we're part of something bigger. We're part of a technological revolution. Either you're at the table or on the table. Get in the end. 10X. Yo, 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 this is Ruben Harris. I'm here with the homies Archer and Timor Meister. And this is the Breaking Stars Podcast. Archer, can you please tell the people what we're doing today? Yeah, for sure. This interview is a little different. Even though we're sitting here on the 14th floor, enjoying the beautiful views of the bay, our guest today is actually speaking with us from New York. Coast to coast, baby. Yep. New York is our third largest city in terms of listeners. And we realize the importance of featuring great breaking stories from all over the country because tech is not just in Silicon Valley, it's in every city. Timor, can you please introduce our guest? Yeah. So today we have a special guest. His name is Nimit Maru. And he's the founder of FullSec Academy, which is an accelerated bootcamp for software engineers. Nimit is also the founder of Gracehopper program, which is a sister school to FullSec. And what's special about Gracehopper is it's the world's first tuition-deferred coding academy for women. Before starting FullSec, Nimit and his co-founder graduated from Y Combinator. And even before that, Nimit worked as a software engineer at Yahoo and got his business degree from Warden. Nimit, take us back and tell us about yourself and share with us what led you to starting FullSec Academy. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on this show. Really excited to be here. I love the mission and, you know, excited to be here. So the way that we started is that in 2012, David Yang is my co-founder. So David Yang and I went through Y Combinator in the Bay Area and we were working on, you know, at the time we were working on some software that... Uh, essentially did, in some ways, the opposite of teaching people how to code, which is that it helped professionals build kind of programmatic workflows without knowing how to code. So, you know, they could use drag and drop and they could build like a, essentially a program, you know, that can take data from customers, they can communicate with their customers, send them alerts, et cetera. And so at some point, you know, after 
working through that, you know, finding customers, et cetera, we realized that we're working with doctors, lawyers, other professionals, and that these smart people can actually just learn how to code. And, you know, me having been through, through Wharton, I knew a lot of my classmates were really excited about tech and also just about diving deep into code. And so the first thing that we did, and, you know, this was really just a weekend effort. The first thing that we did is found something called MBA Code School. And that was way back in 2012. So in 2012, we founded MBA Code School. And, and what we were doing there is we would go to all the kind of the top business schools on the East Coast, and we were teaching kind of short coding seminars on their campus. And, and at the time, you know, we thought this is a pretty good idea. It was kind of like, hey, you know, the, the students are already there. The campus is already there and there's already a lot of open classrooms so we can teach them code there. But after a while, we really started to understand the difference between different types of students that we were working with. You know, we were working with some people who just wanted to get a taste of technology. They weren't really that interested in being a software engineer. They just wanted to get a taste. We were getting some people who wanted to use simple programming skills to work with Excel, with VBA, with uh, Google Apps Scripts, things like that. You know, still... Still, you know, they wanted to program, but not be a full-on engineer. And then we were getting that, you know, that class of student who is, you know, fully motivated, really just wants to be able to build their own software. And so there were these three kind of different types of students. And each student has different motivations and really needs a different type of curriculum. And, you know, that's the problem that we see even today in the coding bootcamp world, actually, is that a lot of schools out there, you know, they don't really, they haven't designed their program for just one of these types of students and they accept people at all different stages of their learning. And it really creates like a, a confusing environment in the classroom because for some people, the, the curriculum may be too hard. Some, for some people, it may be too easy. And so essentially what we learned out of that is that David and I, I mean, we loved working most with people who really wanted to take it all the way, who wanted to dive in full on. And so we decided to focus on that group and we started Full Stack Academy in New York City because, you know, that's where we were based at the time. And our goal was that, you know, we would have a very rigorous admissions process and we would design a program that would, you know, something that we wished would exist, would have existed when, when we were learning how to code, and, you know, have something that was really designed for people who are amateurs in programming already. And that, you know, because software engineering and programming are kind of different skill sets. And, and so, yeah, so. Can you tell us a little, bit, a little bit more about that? Because I think a lot of listeners might associate programming and computer science as one subject. And I think it would be good to explain the distinction between learning how to code versus learning the computer science fundamentals. Yeah, actually, so you mentioned the third thing, which is computer science. And so if I were to use an analogy to, let's say, you know, this is just something that's coming up in the, in the top of my mind, is, is it's furniture, right? So beautiful furniture is, is, you know, we think of it as just one thing. But now think about the carpenter, right? So at one hand, you know, you know, someone may know how to use a hammer. They may know what a nail is. They may know how to use a saw, right? Mm -hmm. And so those skills I think of as programming itself, which is that you know how to use the tools really well. Now, what software engineering is, is knowing how to build beautiful furniture with those tools. And I think that that's a skill set that, you know, that is, it's hard and you can get better and better and better at it. And like, when we graduate someone from our school, we say, hey, you're good at building furniture. You are on your path. You're going to keep getting better at it in your career. But when you come into our school, we don't want to teach you this is a nail. This is a hammer. This is a saw. Like, you know, 
those things we, you know, we think are pretty easy to learn beforehand. And like, we've seen that if you try teaching those really basic programming skills in the actual course, people take different amounts of time to learn those things. And, and it can really be misaligned. Like somebody may, may need two months to master uh, loops and somebody may be able to do it in two days. And, you know, and after those two days, the person who's already mastered loops will be really bored in the class if you're still teaching it for, you know, another six weeks. Yeah, it's a great so, point. So basically the ramping up period is different from different people. And what I'm hearing from you is that full stack kind of focus on people who've taken the first step to kind of delve into coding a little bit, play around, maybe build, build a side project, just kind of get familiar with the lang- language and the syntax. And then yep. your academy is focused on giving people like the next, taking them to the next level and actually kind of showing them the tools and how to perfect them and become a software engineer. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, I think you're exactly right. And then I just wanted to address the third thing that you actually brought up, which is computer science, mm-hmm. which is different than both of these things. And so computer science is, is you know, in, in this analogy of furniture, it, it would be something like the study of interior design. You know, that would be like computer science, which is like, it's not necessarily about any specific language. It's not about any specific type of software. Like computer science has been, you know, the science behind building, you know, basically automation and computers, right? And like it applies across hardware, software, internet, gaming, everything. And so schools today kind of use the word computer science loosely. And, you know, I'm sure we do as well. But I think, you know, we know no school that I know of really does a like really does true justice, I would say, to computer science. Like, you know, and I hope one of my CS professors is listening and not getting angry. But but I I think, you know, you could easily spend like the entire boot camp just on like some, you know, a few topics of computer science because, you know, things can get really deep over there. But our goal, you know, in coding boot camps is really to focus more on the programming and software engineering piece. And, you know, at least at full stack, we have this, this type of, uh, this part of our program called computer science Saturdays, where on Saturdays we explore more advanced topics in computer science and, and programming where, things that are not directly related to the actual stack that we're studying deeply, but there are things that are meant to open your mind and to give you a preview of like the really cool stuff that's out there that you can dig deeper into and you can have a deeper understanding of. And I'll give you an example. Like one of the days is focused on compilers. Now, no way in hell can you learn everything about compilers in one day, right? Like you could spend a whole year and you still would be kind of scratching the surface. But when I say the word compiler, like I would want all of our students to know what exactly that means, right? Like that word is, is very, it's like, you know, we just say a compiler kind of converts code into programs. Well, what does a compiler actually do? Like, how does it look at kind of characters of text, create logic, and then create binary code out of that such that a computer executes it? So like in that one day, we can explore enough so that, you know, our student can go out and when they you know, when they hear the word compiler, they understand, you know, intuitively, they get it, at least, even if they're not experts on it yet. Yeah, that's great. And I want to go back to your earlier point. So you mentioned that when you were starting out, you initially wanted to teach MBAs how to code or give them an introduction to kind of software engineering. And then you kind of like pivoted towards teaching people how to become software engineers and not just kind of giving them a sense. What would you say is kind of the different approaches? Like, because it sounds like there's two different paths. Can you just tell us, describe kind of both approaches and then tell us kind of 
if I'm a business guy, can I still kind of learn how to code and acquire the tools without committing to a career in software engineering? Yeah, absolutely. You know, we definitely have people who take our course not to become software engineers, but for, you know, to help them in another purpose. In a way, it's kind of like they're overshooting the skill so that, you know, they know more than they need to know in kind of the business context. So for example, if your goal is to be a product manager or your goal is to be an entrepreneur CEO of your company, you don't expect to be building your software all the time. But if you take a, a coding bootcamp and, you know, at least some point in your life, you've had the experience where you know what it's like to build software, then I think from then on in your life, your conversations with software engineers will be at a different level. Like you'll be able to connect with them at a different level. They'll respect you at a different level. And you'll actually be able to create requirements and you know, be much more efficient. So I think we absolutely have a lot of people in that boat as well. And I definitely would never advise someone that only take our school if you want to be a software engineer. But what I do tell them is that, but while you're here, we're going to be, you know, our program is rigorous and, you know, we're going to work you as if, you know, as if you were going to be a software engineer. So like prepare to work hard, but like what you do with the skills, I think there's lots of things you can do. Yeah. And right now um, you made a great point about acquiring the skills. So right now, let's say our listener is listening to this and they're interested in becoming a software engineer. Over the last few years, there have been a lot of boot camps that are popping up in both New York City and San Francisco and like all over the country. So what would you say is the biggest difference for full stack? And then how does someone go about evaluating what's a good school versus what, like what school is rigorous enough versus not? So your first question was like, what is the difference between full stack and like, you know, some of the kind of either some of the newer schools or, or like kind of the massive schools? I think, you know, there are some parts of it which are very similar and some parts of it which are very different. And so the parts of it that are similar are that kind of in the marketplace, especially new entrants, they can kind of see the model that has been working as far as timing as far as like, you know, how to structure the program and like the marketing promises to make. And so on the outside, it's very easy for the program to look kind of like, you know, it's the same. But on the inside, I think what's different is that, you know, we have, you know, we do and, and there are other kind of very uh, competitive and like academically rigorous programs out there. But we actually really, really care about the quality of our education and remaining on the cutting edge of, of what we're teaching and what we think students should be learning today. That's part of the reason that we actually teach the JavaScript, full stack JavaScript stack. Something that a lot of people don't know is that our first cohort was actually taught in Ruby on Rails. And you know, I literally remember, you know, in like week eight of our first cohort, you know, our first cohort had 14 students. I still remember each and every one, you know, love them all. And I remember that we were switching to JavaScript, right? Like we had been learning Ruby for a while and now we were switching to JavaScript. And it was just like a, it just felt like it was just like a disaster. Like, like we were doing eight weeks of Ruby, you know, these students had not fully mastered Ruby yet. They were kind of getting there. And now we were switching into this language that had this completely different way of thinking about programming. And we didn't have that much time. Like we only had like four weeks left, you know, and it was like, and so, so in some ways I felt like, you know, like this type of curriculum creates like a, 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 you know, somebody who's okay at two things. And so immediately after that cohort, we took a month off and David and I rewrote our entire curriculum in full stack JavaScript. And like, you know, simply because 
we just realized that like you need to focus on, you know, when you want something to be so intense, you know, you can't be teaching a three month program in like two completely wildly different languages. And both are very critical to the stack. And so, so I think that anyway, so, so I think that the, the stack choice was very important. So what does one learn kind of through the, I guess, 12 weeks of the course? I think uh, it's 13, 13 right? weeks. What are the subjects that you cover? And then what does uh, the graduate come away with at the end? So we cover full stack development, including working with the back end databases, the front end, using a kind of front end view framework. Uh, we use React for that. And so we kind of cover all these technologies. But the most important thing that we do is that because by the time students come into our course, they're already kind of amateur programmers, we only spend the first half of the program working on just like kind of teaching raw technologies. The entire second half, or actually more than the second half of the program, the second seven weeks of the program, we spend kind of in the trenches building, you know, really awesome, impressive projects. And so they build three projects at the end, which, you know, which are all progressively more ambitious and complex you know, in the second half of the program. And I think this is really where, you know, if, if I were to say, I would say that, you know, this is really where like 75, like three fourths of the value of the program comes in the second half of the program, because this is where you really become a software engineer. And I think that's what you, when you walk out, you are, you know, you are very, very comfortable building full stack JavaScript applications. And really, you know, more than full stack JavaScript, like you're comfortable building cloud-based applications. I think that's the key thing that we're teaching here is that how do you build an application where you're working with a data source or a backend or something in the cloud where, you know, there are lots of clients, uh, you're, you're dealing with something in the cloud. And I guess, you know, that's like something that's specifically different from a piece of software that just lives on your machine. Like, you know, today, almost everything has to talk to the cloud, including mobile, desktop and web. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And Given that we covered some things about MBAs and you're in New York where they're known for finance and consulting and things like that. And you know, Archer and I were investment bankers. I th I'd be curious to know, is the makeup of your classes, does it tend to be uh, heavy on bankers, consultants, and MBAs? Or you know, is it uh, across the board you know, from different backgrounds? Or can you describe the demographics a little bit? Sure. You know, one thing that you'll you'll find is that on the outside, you know, New York City really kind of screams banking and finance, but like on the inside, it's actually a you know a really diverse kind of beautiful mix of people who are from all kinds of backgrounds. Like you know, yes, there there are definitely you know, a lot of bankers, but but there there's a there's a really bubbling massive tech scene. There are all kinds of you know like everything from journalism to kind of design to all kinds of other industries, and so. That's really what our classes also kind of mirror is that there's just incredible diversity, you know, as far as backgrounds go in our classes. And, and I think that's one of the powers of, of boot camps, really, that it's something that anyone who has a, um, it kind of marries your, this like taste for design and taste for analytical thinking into one thing. And so a lot of people can kind of agree on the fact that, you know, creating something with software engineering is really fun and really inspiring. Got it. No, yep. that, that makes a lot of sense and, and appreciate that context. You, you touched a little bit on automation a little bit as well, too. And, you know, we're, we're in San Francisco. That is the home of startups. But we also talk a lot about how tech has taken over every industry and it's not no longer an industry anymore. And I would love to learn a little bit more. We would love to learn a little bit more about the New York market, the types of companies that are 
hiring uh, full stack academy graduates to see if it's, is it just startups that are hiring them or is it like a, a bank hiring an engineer for a fintech type of role inside of them because they, they're trying to prevent innovators to the dilemma type of situation or, or what does that look like? So, you know, we have lots of great companies hiring our graduates, you know, including all of the top names you can think of. Like, you know, we've just in the last year, we've had actually one of our most popular employers was Google who's hired a number of our students as software engineers now. Same with Amazon, LinkedIn. Uh, and then there's also a lot of, like, you know, some of the really great local players here that, that hire a lot uh, with us are Priceline, Goldman Sachs, New York Times, New York Stock Exchange. So, so I mean, even I think in, in New York there, what you tend to see is that there's a good balance between startups that hire our students and also kind of larger players who hire students. And, and I'm actually very flattered by the fact that, you know, these larger players are, are starting to really consider, you know, consider full stack like a legit and, uh, you know, like one of their primary places to hire. And I think I only say that in the context of the fact that, you know, in 2012, in 2013, you know, when this space was just getting revved up and nobody really knew about it, there's no way that, you know, a recruiter from Google would have given us as much respect as somebody coming out with a CS degree from MIT. And like, and, and I see that today they like, you know, our students go through, you know, real interviews there and, you know, many of them do, do very well. So, you know, the tech scene here, just like, yeah, like I said about the people is it, it's, it's also diverse. Like I think it there, one thing I, I've seen, you know, having lived in the Bay area myself for, uh, for five years when I was at Yahoo and, and when I co-founded uh, Bloomspot, I've seen that, the kind of the conversation in the tech scene in New York is a little bit different than it is in the Bay Area. And I think, you know, in some ways, it's like, it's a little bit more balance of a conversation where, you know, it's a little bit more in touch with, and, you know, I, I say this with no, no hate towards the Bay Area because, you know, I, I consider myself, you know, somebody from, from that scene, but, but I feel like it has a little bit more touch with reality that, that, that I saw in the Bay Area, which is that, you know, in the Bay Area, we we kind of interact with people who are like us a lot. It's like people who are in tech, people who, who see how automation is going to impact the world, who see how software is going to impact the world and kind of like we drink our own Kool-Aid a lot, if I may say so. And, and I think that that whole feeling is a little balanced in New York, you know, which I think is an incredible strength. Like I think, you know, because of that tech companies here are, you know, I, I think they, I guess just the conversation is different. And I think that, that's one of the key differences I, I see in the two areas. Otherwise, I see all kinds of startups here as well. And, you know, there's, there's a huge technology scene and, and a lot of people who hire our graduates. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's awesome. And it's awesome to hear, you know, the things that you wouldn't traditionally think about when it comes to Goldman Sachs and New York Times, and especially when you have companies like GM and Ford that are getting into the space as well, to think about the roles that are going to be created in the future. And it's also remarkable that you have grown so quickly. And like you said, people respect you more than they did when you first started, which leads us to think a little bit more about standardization. You just came a part of some kind of collective recently, right? Yeah. So we, we joined the, the CIRR group. What does that stand for? I can speak a little bit about it if you guys want here. Yeah. Um, what does the C, CRR but, stand but, for? But the idea is that, you know, it, it's, it's a group of, you know, that that's a really good, question because I've been, I've been referring to it for CR. I, yeah. I don't want to mess it up. Yeah. I think it's the council um, of integrity I, I, and results I, reporting, right? We have sorry? it right here. The yeah. Is it the council on integrity and results reporting? Exactly. There you go. Okay. Yep. You're right. And so, 
the goal of that group. So, so we were one of the founding members there and like, and the goal of it is that we've seen that in reporting of outcomes in our industry, there has been essentially, you know, a lot of kind of diversity in how people, what people consider an outcome, how people reported, what the timelines are. And all of that at the end of the day is confusing students. And I think, you know, we wanted to be part of the solution in a sense. And that's what the goal is of, of joining this group is that, is that we want to work together with, with other, you know, with our competitors essentially, but, but other boot camps who have a similar goal as us is that to report outcomes that meet a kind of a common standard so that a student can look at outcomes and actually make some sense out of them. Um, rather than, you know, one school will say like 99%, another says 98%. And while they both look the same on paper, they may actually be very different because the way you calculate 99% or 98% is actually very important. Like, you know, do you count somebody getting a, like a part-time contract rule? Do you count that person as employed or not? Right. And like, until you know all those, the answers to all these questions, it's hard to make sense out of that number. And so our goal, you know, in joining this group is that, you know, we are going to all release outcomes and, you know, we're working on that ourselves right now is that, you know, redoing our outcomes to meet with the standard so that, you know, basically improves the clarity and transparency for students. Like it's all about, you know, making sure that students have the right picture and yeah. So we're actually really glad that bootcamps are starting to do that because I'm looking back to when I was uh, looking at picking a school in 2014. A lot of schools will just throw out these numbers. So I like the fact that you guys are like leveling the playing field and in terms of saying, hey, there's every school is going to be or every school that wants to be part of it will be reporting these numbers on the same basis. So it will be easy for future students to identify coding schools that are actually will help them get the results. Because you're also not just competing against coding boot camps, you're also competing against other private institutions. And historically, there's been some cases of even like Trump universities, as an example, yeah. where people just got yeah. scammed. And I know from personal experience that the bootcamp model does work, but there's obviously a lot of skepticism how someone could potentially go for 12 weeks and then get a job that's six figures without like a ton of prior experience. So I think that's really great. Like, can you just share some of the numbers in terms of how much does full stack cost? Do you guys have any payment plans? And then what do you guys do to help your students with the job search? Sure. Yeah. And I think actually on that, on that note, I wanted to also mention our Grace Hopper program, oh, yeah. you know, which you mentioned in the introduction, because, you know, and, and specifically because you asked about numbers, because our full stack academy essentially has a, you know, has just like a, a fixed kind of prepaid tuition model mm-hmm. where uh, actually I wouldn't call it prepaid. So, so the, the way it works is that you, you get in and then you pay a $2,000 deposit to kind of secure your spot. And then you go through a, the first part of our course, which is a four weeks foundations course. At the end of that course, there is a exam essentially that, you know, that you have to pass to show us that you've mastered kind of that first part of the course. And, you know, in, in some sense, Foundations is also, I mean, this is not officially the case, but in some sense, I think of it as like the last step of admissions where you can really demonstrate to us that you have the, you know, Mm -hmm. the discipline, the passion, and you're actually going to do all the work. And so if you pass this exam, only then do we even collect the remainder of the tuition. So we don't even collect your tuition until you pass four weeks of our program. And we do that really just to make sure that, you know, if we're taking your money, we want to make sure that we're going to fulfill our promise to you. Um, And so... So that's at full stack at Grace Hopper program. We essentially, 
you know, have built. So the Green Software Program is an engineering school for women. And it was built in response to the fact that, you know, there is a huge kind of gender disparity in coding schools as well as in tech. I mean, definitely in tech, I think coding schools in general are improving this. But what we were seeing is that our program was not able to achieve like, you know, great, like, you know, great improvements in gender disparity, despite us having a, you know, we had a scholarship for women. We used to work with women's coding groups to kind of advertise and things like that. And, you know, despite all that, you know, our numbers were still not something we were very proud of. And so, so we launched a separate program in order to really put our money where, where our mouth is. And like something's very specific about this program is that you don't pay tuition till you find a job. And that's a very important thing. And, you know, for a bootcamp, that, that's a, it's actually an expensive thing to do, right? Because all your expenses are happening today, but we don't, you know, get any revenue from the student till way later. And so we, we decided to make that change in order to really get the smart and ambitious women to apply. And I think they've done that in droves. And, you know, it's been like an amazing success, the program. Last year, we had over 100 women engineers graduate. You know, this year, that number is going to go up again. And so overall, you know, in out of Polsec Academy, you know, including Grace Hour Program and our normal academy, we've without lowering our admission standards at all, without lowering our graduation standards, you know, we graduate over 40% women now, which wow. is, you know, That's huge. Which is really, really, really exciting. So when I graduated from a, a computer science program, both David and I actually went to the University of Illinois. At the time, we only had one woman for every 12 men in our program. And so, so this is what computer science programs are graduating today. And, you know, that number may or may not have changed a little bit, but, but it's essentially still really poor. And and, you know, compared to that, out of our programs, we have about 40% women graduating, a little over that. And so, so anyways, safe to say, you know, that's something that's very exciting for us. Another thing that's really exciting is that we recently launched our remote live program, you know, about, about six months ago. And, uh, you know, we had our first class graduate recently that's, you know, doing super well already. Our remote live program is our exact same rigorous and tested immersive program, but it's available to anyone in the country. You know, they can do it from home, but it's fully live. Instructors are live. Teaching assistants are live. Other students are live. And it works super well. You know, we have an entire staff that's just going to be dedicated to teaching you. It's not like you'd just be watching a feed of our kind of normal program. And so I think, you know, that's also really exciting because, you know, we, we, it's really hard for boot camps to increase access to this kind of education to areas that are not in big cities, right? And like, more than half of the population, or like around half of the country's population doesn't live in a big city. And so those people today don't have access to great kind of boot camp education, to great coding education. And I know myself, having gone to high school in a small town in Kentucky, there's no way that I, you know, if I hadn't just like, you know, been learning from books, there's just no way I would have been able to learn any of this stuff. And so, you know, that's something that's been personally really exciting for me as well. Totally. And I guess on the topic of scaling, so, um, what is so you guys went through YC, you guys raised some capital when you finished it. So how does a bootcamp that's VC back compared to most of the bootcamps that are bootstrapped in terms of like the growth expectations and the types of initiatives that you plan on releasing in the next like three to five years? Sure. So to correct you, we you know, we're not really VC backed in a sense because you know we did take so we did get a little bit of money from Y Combinator, which is a really small amount. And we have a um a couple of angel investments from kind of basically around 25 to 50K 
of investments from kind of two or three people who are interested in education. You know, this was back in 2012, 2013. Since then, we're completely bootstrapped ourselves as well. But at the same time, you know, I, I can see that if you, like the way scaling works is that growth requires cash, right? Mm-hmm. And that's just the reality of growth is because, you know, you need some energy upfront to be able to prop up your new programs and plans until the market catches up with you. And so I think that there are very valid reasons for coding boot camps to raise capital. You know, we've seen lots of coding boot camps also get exits in this space, you know, where we've had larger players buy out kind of smaller uh, boot camps. I think that's also one way that some people are doing it. We haven't been interested in those yet because we still think like the, you know, the story is still coming up. You know, like this is the beginning. I think there's, you know, like you guys have been saying is that I think software is going to touch every single thing in our lives. And, you know, this is really just the early stage of us seeing, you know, how it really impacts everything. Like, and so I think, you know, the exciting part of our story, as exciting as it has been already, I think it's still coming up. We're looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. And the point that you made about the Grace Topper Academy, I love the fact that when the women, it's focused on women and that the tuition is deferred. I know that it also is a testament to your confidence in you being able to educate students and place them or, and help them find jobs because you guys are on the hook until the person actually finds a job. So it's a testament to how rigorous and how confident you are in um, your ability to help someone actually become an engineer. When you look at the industry as a whole over the next like five, 10 years, what is your view on uh, just like education in general? Do you think uh, more colleges will just require or high schools will require computer science education? Should anyone be required to take computer science classes or what is your view in terms of the future? So, you know, today, the way a high school can teach programming is through the AP computer science class. And I've actually, you know, so I was the first class in my high school in Kentucky that ever offered this class. So I I just happened to have taken it in the first iteration of it back in the late 90s. And I think, you know, I don't know, I I haven't kept up with exactly how that class has changed, but I know that that class is focused on just kind of the the theoretical foundations of computer science. And I think, you know, if high schools are going to start teaching programming or software engineering, they're going to have to do something beyond just the AP computer science class, which I think is, it's very theoretical. And like, and on its own, it's not going to show someone how to build an app or how to build something, you know, how to build out their entrepreneurial idea. And so I think there are probably a couple of steps that, you know, they still need to take. And, you know, it's possible that boot camps will help in that. Maybe not, you know, that's to be seen. I think as far as college is concerned, I think while it's, you know, it's become popular for people to say that, you know, college is terrible and like, you know, don't go to college and things like that. I mean, I, I don't really subscribe to that. In fact, both my co-founder and I, like we, we met in college, you know, like we, we, we think that a lot, you know, I think there's a lot of value in, especially at that age to go through an experience like college where, you know, you are with other people in your age group and like, you're really growing up as a person. And so I think while education itself is going to be revitalized, right. And whether it's through programs like ours or colleges will kind of uh, review their programs. But, but I think there's a lot of value to, you know, when you're 18, going through an experience like college, which I don't think is going to just be replaced by a, you know, completely replaced by a three-month program. Like, like, I think it would be naive to think that, you know, to think that. 
But at the same time, you know, one thing that we do encourage people, and you know, this is something that my co-founder says a lot, is that like instead of replacing college, like supplement college with something like a coding bootcamp, because a coding bootcamp is such a short amount of time uh, commitment, like it's three months. You can actually do it in the summer before college, or you can even take an, a year off before you go to college to kind of get, you know, to do one or two coding boot camps, or you do maybe a full stack development boot camp, and then maybe you do like a data science boot camp or something like that. And then when you go to college, you're going to be like a rock star, you know, like you are going to be one of the few people who really know how to build stuff. And like, you know, you're going to be able to get on the best teams. You're going to be, you know, be able to work with the best clubs and like, you know, professors will want you on their research teams. I mean, you're just going to get a huge step ahead. So that's what I would recommend today to people who are thinking about college. Yeah, that's definitely true. We actually ran into a kid. I think he was going through, when we met him, he was going through like Hack Reactors program, but he also was, he also went through a data science bootcamp and he was still getting his computer science degree from college. So, so he was just doing these bootcamps like you, you mentioned just to acquire the skill sets, like the hands-on experience that maybe a computer, traditional computer science program wasn't giving him until he actually was a senior in college. So that's definitely true. For all of our listeners right now who are interested in like just getting into Full Stack Academy, what would you say they should start looking at online in order to prepare for your interviews? So essentially, they should be just trying to do as many programming problems as they can get. There are a number of resources online to just get practice in programming, you know, whether it's websites like Codecademy or CodeSchool or, you know, there's just lots of tutorials. So I think, you know, I, I would definitely choose JavaScript as the language I start with just because I think it's the easiest to access and it runs very easily without, a, um, you know, without needing a, a kind of a, a terminal necessarily. Like you can even run it directly in your browser or using the, the Repolit website. And I would start doing problems on you know, just like practice problems. We have some great links on our admissions page. If you just go to our website, postdocacademy.com. And the other thing I would mention in related to college is that we also have a summer of code program, which is specifically meant for college students over the summer. So it's our entire engineering bootcamp, but there is a kind of student scholarship included. And it's kind of, you know, the, like the timelines are designed so that it will work well for somebody who in between, you know, two years of college. And so I would definitely look at that. If you're interested in spending a, a summer in New York or Chicago or uh, or even uh, online, yeah. And so, which cities are you guys in right now? Um, so right now we're in New York and Chicago, gotcha. um, as far as physical locations. Yep. Any plans to expand in the Bay Area, or are you guys going to be expanding on the East Coast? Or maybe ATL or something like that. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, we definitely would love to. You know, I think. The Bay Area right now is flushed with you know, a, a crazy number of uh, coding boot camps and of all varying kind of qualities and, and types. And so, yes, we, you know, we definitely will come there at some point. And I think, you know, the cities like Atlanta or, you know, like Boston or, you know, these kind of these other large cities on the two coasts, I think, you know, we definitely also are looking at those. I guess what I struggle with with that is that like is um, can a school that has a very kind of stringent admissions process succeed in a smaller city. I think that's something that we're exploring right now because you need a lot of people in order to, right? Because we, we reject like, you know, 10 people for everyone that we take in. And that means that we just have to have a lot of applicants to, to keep it fresh. I mean, to keep it full and fresh. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, Georgia Tech is one of the 
greatest engineering programs out there. And yeah. I know you got yeah. Boston has Harvard. So, so obviously having a source of candidates is a criteria. What if, you know, you guys had a lot of listener data from breaking the startups. Would that help you determine which city to move into or, or what's the context for expansion? Uh, yeah, I think, you know, I think uh, listener data would, would be very helpful or like some kind of a poll uh, that would be great. You know, and another thing that we look at is amount of VC dollars that have gone into that city. You know, I know, you know, that kind of sounds really disconnected from, you know, which city needs uh, tech education. But the reason that it is connected is because VC dollars tend to fund uh, startups who tend to hire our graduates. And like, you know, we want to make sure that there is a healthy like number of jobs that are available. If we're going to charge people a ton of money to go to our school, like, you know, we want to make sure we're fulfilling our promise. And so that's another metric that, that we would look at. Yeah. And I love that the fact that you're, you think about your students, you think about outcomes and you're almost putting them first and you're looking out for them. That's really awesome. So with that said, uh, at this point in our interviews, we do the lightning round. And this is the part where Arthur Rubin and I will just ask you several questions and try to provide us with tactical advice, any strategies or tactics that you've used to start full stack and just general advice that you give to your students who are learning how to code. Okay, cool. I try to do my best. Yeah, great. So imagine you were uh, moving to a new city, you didn't know anyone, and you were starting from scratch, and you only had $100. Like, what would you do and how would you get back on your feet to get to the point where you are now? I guess $100 is just enough for, for gas money. And so I, I really wouldn't, I don't think I would spend it on, um, on anything too crazy. Like, I, the, the main thing I can think of is spending it on, on having coffees with interesting people and starting to know the tech scene attending a lot of meetups, you know, basically giving to people. Like I think when you don't have a lot of money, what you do have is your, your time. And I think that's probably even more valuable than cash. And so I would just start, just start helping people, just start finding out what's going on. And then eventually I would think if I can add enough value to, to the area where I am, somebody would, you know, somebody would need me enough to either offer me a job or I would see some kind of opportunity that I could latch on to, to grow. Awesome. Awesome. This question might sound a little sappier, a little emotional because it is, but out of the students that are going through this rigorous program of yours, you know, I would assume and I would imagine that some of them feel sad or, or feel like they want to quit or may have reached out to you looking for guidance on how to break through a wall or how to overcome a, a type of frustration. I'm not sure if you directly have given them like a piece of music or a video to watch or some kind of advice to break through that or or do you listen to any type of music or movie or watch it or go see a piece of art to help you overcome any frustrations? Do you have any thoughts on that? So I think, you know, what I would tell a student going through a frustrating time is that this is the difference between like the difference between people who are successful in the world. And this is going to sound really high level, but, you know, let me just put it out there. Is that the primary difference between, between people who are successful in the world and people who are not? And, you know, and however you define success, right? It doesn't have to be just money. Is that the people who are successful are willing to work through anxiety and risk at some point, right? And like, the reason I say that is because anything difficult, anything worthwhile that you do is going to cause you, is going to cause you stress, is going to cause you anxiety. And like, as long as you aren't having, you know, like real, I mean, you know, I think there's also a level which you know is unhealthy, I guess, like, you know, if you're having if your health is really deteriorating, if you're having suicidal thoughts, all, all those things I think you need to get professional help for. But like a healthy amount of anxiety, I think is a key ingredient to success. And so 
I would tell people to embrace the anxiety and like, you know, and don't be so hard on yourself. Like, you know, our program is designed to be very tough. You know, just take it one step at a time, one light of code at a time. Keep your head up, exercise, take care of your health. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. It makes me think about something someone told me where a comfort zone is a beautiful place, but nothing ever grows there. Oh, that's, I love it. I love that quote. I'm going to write it down. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And um, so the, the next question that we ask relates to kind of looking back and looking back at your experiences. And for uh, our listeners who are uh, thinking about the future and their careers, I think you can actually provide a lot of advice because you've gone through the traditional path of getting a, your undergrad and then getting your MBA from one of the top business schools. And then you started a coding bootcamp. So what is the one piece of advice that you have for someone, maybe even thinking about applying to college that now that you've been through this whole journey? I guess it's similar to what I had said earlier, which is that, that I still think you, know, you should go to a challenging college. You should go to a place where you're going to have other people that really challenge you and that, are, that you're not the smartest person in the class. You know? Don't go to college where you're the smartest person in the class. I think that so, so going to college is still important. At the same time, I wouldn't just rely on college as like a railway that's going to get you to the promised land, right? Because I think college doesn't really know what the promised land is anymore. And I don't know if I would rely on that only. Like I would, I would definitely do things like coding boot camps. I would maybe start a company during college. I would, you know, work on different projects, work with different groups outside of college, meet, meet entrepreneurs in your city. So, I, you know, I would be doing if this is something when I was in college, every single break I had, when I would go home, I would pick a new technology and a new game or something that I wanted to build with it. Like, you know, for example, one Thanksgiving break, I picked Visual C++ and Tetris. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to build a Tetris in Visual C++. And I did that every single break. And so like, you got to do things like that outside of your normal college curriculum. And it, that actually enhances college. So that's the main thing I would, I would tell someone is that, you know, to take the max out of college, you have to do other things. You have to look outside of college as well. Yeah. And I love the point of not just learning, but also building. If you're learning anything, just build a project or pick a game that you really like and try to rebuild it in whatever language or whatever skill that you have. Yep. That's the best way. Yeah. And I guess the last question we usually ask as part of the lighting round is kind of having been through this process, is there anything that surprised you around starting a company, especially like something like a coding bootcamp? And uh, yeah, anything surprising? You know, every day has a lot. I mean, there are tons and tons of surprising things, I guess. But the one key thing that that I think keeps me and David uh, really growing, going and really motivated is that, you know, when you're building a company where your product is transformation, when your product is like success for other people, it's like an incredibly personally gratifying thing. And like it can really keep you going for much longer than if you're building something where your product is like a massage coupon, you know, honestly, like my, my previous company was a company called Bloomspot, which, which did reasonably well. It was sold to a Chase JP Morgan, but like our main product was like, we were selling like massage coupons and like, you know, Botox vouchers. And like that doesn't wake you up in the morning too many days in a row. And I think that, you know, that's something that has surprised me given that previous experience is that you know, if you do something for other people, if you, you know, use your skills you know, to, to help other people, like it really like multiplies in happiness for yourself. And I think that that that's the real reward of it. And so anyway, um, absolutely. Uh, yeah. in, uh, I think you guys are doing the same thing with this podcast. So I love that too. Yeah. For us, um, just seeing the stories of people reaching out to us and saying that 
how even listening to stories like yours and stories of our other guests, how it's changing their lives, it definitely makes us get up in the morning and say, hey, it might be hard to have a full-time job and then do the podcast on the side, but we want to keep doing it and helping more people. With that said, what is what is the best uh, way for our listeners to get in touch with you? Are you on Twitter and your other social media, maybe your email? Yeah, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter name is just Nimit, N-I-M-I-T. They can also email me. I'm at uh, Nimit at postarchacademy.com. I do get probably more email than is healthy. And so it may take me a little while, but I'll, I'll definitely uh, get back to you. I love I love talking to people about this stuff. I could I could go on all day, but but I know that, you know, Podcasts need to be time boxed, right? Um, yep. Yeah, and that's actually how I reached out to you. I just emailed you and I said, hey, would love to hear your story and how you started Full Stack. And next thing we know, we're sitting here recording the interview. So for everyone listening, definitely head up Nimit and check out Full Stack. Thanks again for uh, tuning in. And uh, it was a great story. Uh, we enjoyed uh, speaking to you about both the uh, Full Stack Academy and the Grace Hopper program. So for uh, people listening, check out their website and um, tune in next time. Yeah. Thank you, Nimit. Thanks a lot, guys. Have yeah, cool. thanks a lot. Thanks for checking us out. We appreciate you for listening and always love your feedback on how we can do better. If you enjoyed this, let us know what you thought on the reviews by going to iTunes, searching for Breaking Into Startups, subscribing to our podcast, and leaving a review. Also, if you know someone who came from a non-traditional background and is looking to break into tech, encourage them to sign up to our newsletter or tell them to join the Breaking Into Startups community on Facebook. Remember, if they don't let you in through the front door, go through the back door, around it, under it, or through it. Let's break in. <laughs>